We have a panel of speakers, um, two from academia, two from industry. Um, so we'll start off by introducing uh, each of the, I'll, I'll have at least the panelists introduce themselves. So. So, my name is Jean Letal. I'm, I'm an, one of the academics. I think everyone knows that by now. Uh, so, I'm from the Nova University of Lisbon in Portugal. Uh, I've been working mostly in consistency nowadays, uh, from theory to practice, geo-replication, whatever. And, like in the past, I've been doing other stuff, like peer-to-peer. -peer. I think that also was apparent in our talk today. And I think that that's it. Uh, I'm David Greenberg. Uh, I work at Two Sigma, where um, what I do is work on our distributed compute cluster and like the computational and um, storage requirements there. My name is Annette Binusa. I'm a lecturer and researcher at the University of Kaiserslautern in Germany. Um, my, well, first, first kind of uh, touch with distributed and concurrent uh, programming was my research on software transaction memory. And starting from this, I moved more into the uh, distributed direction and well, probably some of you have been to the to the talk that uh, Chris and I gave on the Sucre project. So we are trying to get in touch with um, with industry to feedback on the uh, kind of research we are doing with CRDTs. My name is Jordan West. Uh, I work over at Basho, spending most of my time working on the the core uh, distributed systems infrastructure of React. And uh, most recently, I've been um, implementing some of Joao's research. Uh, which is what we spoke about today. And um, so obviously I'm a big fan of, of us working closer together. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so last year uh, at Recon, um, kind of the, the one of the topics of discussion that, that uh, a lot of people really enjoyed was kind of bringing what we could do to get uh, industry and academia kind of working together a little bit better. Um, so there were there were a variety of recommendations. You know, um, a lot of it was focusing around having you know industry support uh, testing and evaluation of of results and experiments. And one of the others was having more industry people kind of submit papers to conferences, um, specifically you know the industry tracks of conferences like SIGMOD or VLDB. Um, so you know it's been a year, right? Uh, we've We've attempted to do some collaboration. Um, a bunch of people have worked together. So, I, you know, maybe we should start by saying, like, what do you think went really well, and, and what would you have liked to see more of? Um, so maybe we'll start with Jordan. What went really well, and what would I like to see more of? Well, I, I will leave our work aside for a second. I think SyncFree. I mean, I'm I'm pretty impressed, especially seeing your guys talk yesterday and how closely everyone has been working together in the feedback loop. There, I think, is to be taking. Um, work and, and uh, problems from industry and immediately doing research on them and, and bringing that back into testing it in, in practice again, I think is really awesome. Um, and then more short term, as Joao and I work together, just, I mean, the ability to get together and really talk about our ideas. Um, you know, we, we think about a lot of the same problems, but we look at them from different perspectives. Uh, I think that's been really crucial as we've moved forward with the work we did in React. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been previously engaged in uh, projects where industrial partners were partnering up together with um, academic partners in order to get something done. And um, what I've seen in the last year with the Syncfree project is really amazing. So it's the first time that this feedback loop, like this immediate feedback within hours, days, uh, was established. And that's something that's very unique, I, I think. So um, what, what happens very often is that, you know, you have a cool idea and then you find some company that might be interested in doing this, but by the time of um, funding is uh, found and so on, industry interests might have shifted. 
And uh, it's then very hard to get reliable partners within industry to, to cooperate with. And it was special, I think, and uh, also Trifork and Rovio, the other partners in Syncfree, we're very, very lucky there. And I hope that um, you know the results that we're getting out there, it's integrated into to React at least to a certain point. And uh, I hope this is uh, uh, well, inspiring more um, industries uh, to fi uh, search for this kind of um, cooperation. David? So um, I think the one thing that's really great that's happened in the past year is um, the Papers We Love has started, which is um, sort of a, a group of, it, it tends to be some academics and some um, people from industry reading papers that they really enjoy and kind of bringing more of the discussion of a lot of these academic concepts and kind of bringing broader exposure to them, which really has the possibility to disseminate those ideas. Um, I do think something that could be better, um, you know, echoing your sentiments, is that the, the timelines for academia and industry are really challenging. And I know like that we've tried to and are still trying to work with um, various um, uh, research groups at, at um, universities to try to figure out how we can work on commercializing their research or, or integrating it into the work that we're doing. Um, but you know, just with things like, um, like the dissertation cycle really can kind of make this really challenging um, because the people who are working on it in academia don't have the same kind of timeline um, as the companies. I have to start by, by echoing a bit the opinion on, on projects like Syncfree because like these, these working on concrete problems together in like this close loop really has the potential to make the efforts between academia and, and industry to be fruitful and really visible. But it's all about communications like any distributed system, right? So I think there, there should be some pressure on academics to make their solutions as understandable as possible, maybe providing prototypes of their research so that people can easily pick them, understand them, and put them to production. And also from industry to be like, Basho is doing a great job on this front, being public about their problems, what they are doing, what they are using, and, and everything. So it's all about communication. I think we are doing like very nice steps in that direction. I think my work with Jordan is actually one, one good example also. Excellent. So um, one of the suggestions last year was this idea that you know more industry partners should submit talks to to submit talks to industry tracks at these conferences like VLDB, for instance. Um, and you know you can kind of look at it two ways. Um, you know it's saying well we should kind of talk about the uh, putting things into practice and and what we're doing uh, you know in production in industry and kind of get this into this track. But another way you could look at it is that you know. Why aren't those talks in the main tracks of these conferences, right? And they're, they're focusing mainly on on novel research, and having you know an industry track might send the wrong impression by kind of pushing that work separately. Um, so, I guess uh, a question I'll pose to the panel is, um, how do you feel about that, and and what approaches do you think might be a bit more productive to kind of get a better, uh, you know, have a bit more confluence between the two groups? So, uh, Jordan, sorry, with me again. Oh. Not an easy question. I, I agree with you for the most part. I think I, it, it bothers me to have a, a separate track. I think if you think about recon, um, and, you know, we had a wide range of talks here, and if we separated it, it would have been very different. I think the mix um, not only brings the audience together and forces people to speak in a different way, um, but it, it makes for a much more interesting event. Um, so I think sort of go, also going back to the previous question a little bit, um, you know. In industry talks becoming a forefront thing in academia, while academia talks and things like papers we love are becoming a forefront in industry, I'd like to sort of see that balance. Um, so I think we should make it the same track. 
Well, I have a bit more mixed feeling about this. Maybe having having the the, this, uh, the talks not separated is a good thing, but um, the review process, you know, um, it's hard for academics to compete with uh, evaluation done in industry because we simply just don't have the means to deploy uh, real products to real customers and get get all these uh, information, all these traces and problems back. So. Um, if, uh, if industry papers are evaluated against the same measures as academic papers, it's sometimes tough. So I, I don't have objections mixing talks, but mixing review, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Also, I mean, um, industry people very often don't have the time to sit, uh, sit down and get all the theory right. And this might also be a, a valuable uh, thing you get out of um, academia. So um, where do you draw the line? It's difficult. David? Um, I think that's something that um, that I've observed both um, like at Two Sigma and then through friends at Google and Twitter is that all of these companies are doing um, projects that are like working on interesting things in compilers and in replication and in, um, in distributed databases storing different types of information. Um, but the thing is that when you start getting into these novel, the novel research that industry is doing, generally the companies believe this is their this is the re this is the thing that makes them competitive and prevents some startup from taking their slice of the pie. And so I think that you know figuring out a way for um, you know for industry for industry uh, participants to be able to publish the work that they're doing without um, giving away so much that somebody else could could replicate their work in such a way that would cause them you know a financial impact would create um, an incentive that would make more of this kind of private research get released out to the public. So well, I, I agree with you that I, I don't see the need for having like a separate track for or session or whatever for industry. Um, and, and this actually happens in many conferences, actually, at least in the systems community, well, academia and industry are, are, are actually together there. But I think that, that the right direction to go there is, is really to have papers being submitted by academics and people from industry together. And then there's, this question no longer exists, right? right? If everyone is working on the same thing together, then I think this is the best way to go to overcome this problem. Okay. Um, do you have any questions from the audience before we move on? Just raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring you a mic. Yeah? That's fine. We have time for you, Inez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, I guess, okay, cool. So, uh, I would like to ask, like, three questions and they're very different as well. So, uh, first, how do you find each other? So, how did this project started where, like, you guys from Basho found them and then they found you and then you had, like, this, like, beautiful symbiosis, but, like, how do you know, like, how do you know of each other? Accident. Okay, <laughs> that was a good question. So the, the full story behind the, the, the React2.0 work is uh, Joe Blomstad, who's not here, wrote a basically a large essay about where he saw the future of React going. And in there, he had came across Joao's work. And two years later, I started at Basho, and I read this thing, and I read Joao's papers, and I started working on part of it, and I implemented it. And then I'll let you tell what happened when you saw the okay. video. <laughs> so how, 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 how should I address this? Uh, how public should I be about what really happened? <laughs> so okay, I'll be very public. So, so I, I'm, I'm sort of involved in this thing-free project, but I've been mostly an observer there. So at some point, I was, I was in the mailing list of the project, and I think the work that Jordan was doing in React was, was discussed at some meeting, and someone sent an email to the mailing list with a video presentation of Jordan. And I was late at night, I was very tired. I should explain this before, I was very, very tired <laughs> at that point. And I saw this email and I thought, well, I'll gossip, let me check it. 
And I was started to see Jordan's talk, and he was like, ah, yeah, all gossip and everything, and then we use trees, and I thought, well, yeah, this guy's reinventing the wheel, we already did that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and at some point, he mentions the name of the protocol, Plum Tree, and, and I swear this is true. Like, my first reaction was, what, they did the same thing and, and used the same name? <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds of it? <laughs> so I think the answer is... So I think the answer to your question is we need better ways to yeah. find each other. Yeah, each other. yeah, that's true. And uh, I was going to go back to also, you know, to say about what I think is exciting about um, the work right now is I don't want to see us do this thing where they're writing papers and 20, 30 years later we're rediscovering them. And so I think if we can find a way to match us up sooner, um, we need that. But it's, it's missing right now. <laughs> so I think there's, there's another thing also um, that we've been doing at Two Sigma, which is um, a combination of hiring um, researchers to work at the company and sort of just either be um, consulting like part-time or even full-time, you know, kind of disseminating the knowledge they have. And the other thing that we've been doing is, um, is like, so, you know, we're in New York and we're like literally three blocks from NYU um, and like, I don't know, a 20-minute subway ride from um, Columbia. And so through some of these um, research, uh, researchers that we've hired, then they're on all the mailing lists for NYU and Columbia. And then they send out internal emails saying, like, hey, you know, your team is working on you know, networking problems. And there's this talk on like, more efficient networks going on over here. You should check it out. And through that, there's actually um, one project even that we've um, like, particularly focused on and like, you know, has the potential even to do that. So I think that you know, this also applies to people in San Francisco and Chicago. You know, there's universities nearby. They're having talks. They don't lock the door if, you, if you're not a member of the university. Like, you can just show up and check it out, and maybe it'll be useful. Berkeley hosts some really great talks in the yeah. Bay Area, for example. Um, so. Okay, cool. So uh, my next question. Uh, what are like the okay? So that we have academia, and then like once in a while, industry and academia like would get together and then work together and collaborate. But I was wondering about the ethical implications of like commercializing research work. How, how does that work? I mean, like, is there an advantage for researchers that get paid like maybe 30 grand a year in America with like no, like almost nothing else and then somebody else commercializing into something, a product that they sell? So is there a, is there a, a problem with that or is it like another reason that this? I can pick that up. Well, for me, this is like a, a no problem really because my perspective on doing research and, and, and science in general is that as soon as I publish a paper with some result, this is in the public domain. Yeah. So for yeah. me, this is like no issue at all. If someone goes up and picks my research, as Jordan did, and, and use it in, in the real world, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm, I'm really happy about it. And if I can do something to help people to do that more often, then I'm all for it. So for me, this is really no problem. So have these uh, insights into industry helped you? Like, have they, have they changed any of your assumptions once you start seeing it how, in, the, in the wild? Yes, a bit. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. But I don't know if the other members want to. Well, I mean, one thing is also um, there are a lot of um, students or like PhDs involved in doing the research, and um, not everybody wants to stay or can stay in academia. So um, I'm actually very happy when we have companies that we can collaborate with, and you know, people already hook up, and it's also good for the companies, right? If you have a, if you get a, a person that knows already something about your product and about some, some corner cases and so on about technology and you can hire him directly maybe after, after the uh, degree or something. It's, it's a corporation, right? So, and, yeah. so then are you saying that it's the role of universities to also start seeking out partners more aggressively and to make sure, like, I mean, shouldn't academic institutions help you more? 
Yeah, actually, I mean, it's, at, at some point, it's, uh, it's about trust, right? So um, you need to open your door, um, especially as industry, to have people coming in and, and seeing what you're doing. And some companies don't feel very, very good about that, right? You know, they, they're afraid that uh, secrets may get out and I don't know what. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult, so we, we are trying to establish contact. So I, I know that at my university we have even a special um, kind of group uh, where um, industry can, can kind of um, sign up and paying with, with like a little fee, they are pos uh, it's possible to, to have scholarships running and so on and they, they can really interact with the students and it's actually quite nice and um, has, has a great impact on uh, our faculty. I think um, another another way that, that I've seen this happen, like particularly a lot of the Microsoft research publications, is that um, you know, like like you guys mentioned, you know, if as a researcher you might not have a big um, paycheck, but you know, there's the summer season, particularly for PhD students, where this is a great time to take internships. And so there's a lot of companies that have some kind of research focus, or maybe you know, you scope out a talk during one year, John Sofer to Berkeley or NYU. And then you say, oh, hey, like maybe let's like get one of the PhD students working on this as an intern. And then they can benefit by getting, you know, industry experience and, you know, um, some more spent money for the rest of the year. And the companies can benefit by getting that, you know, academic crossover and being able to, to you know, leverage their, the knowledge of the people actually working on the system rather than just reading the paper. I have the last point and then I will like stop hogging the mic. No, so, no, no, it's uh, fine. <laughs> So I belong to the, the, the group that does, uh, that helps with the, the Papers We Love uh, organization. And I think that one of the challenges, at least for me, has been the curation of different aspects has been problematic. Because we don't have a lot of like domain expertise on some of the areas of papers. And then that would be very helpful to get help like from people in general about like if you know about distributed systems, just rank us or just like even just like put an issue with like the papers or, or something. I think that this is a problem that we're trying to solve as well because we don't really know how to curate this type of content. We have a ton of papers that are out there that they require or if there's this like I guess we don't know how to parse them as well in a, in a way. So what we're doing is like we're getting really good speakers and then the speakers help us with this like the, the background but uh, as a repo and as a way that other people are accessing and obviously they have like interest in we are still like like lacking in the in the sense of like curation and also just even like guided like tours. It's like if you want to know this, this is like seminal work and you should parse it in this way. We don't have that, so that it would be very nice if we get more help on, on that situation. So that's my that's all. Anybody have any comments on that? My past, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's one extra thing you can do, which is that um, there's I think Google Scholar has like citation counts, and so particularly for seminal works, like this doesn't tell you really anything about whether a new art, like a new paper, is like garbage or like going to revolutionize things. But I mean, particularly for seminal works, you know, you see like thousands or tens of thousands of citations, and you know, like clearly, that there's something special about this one, because not every paper is getting that many citations. So I mean. Academia, it's, it's possible to track and know about seminal papers, sure, but um, to, to keep track of uh, research that's going on, we are very often in exactly the same situation, right? You go to the conference and you learn about that work, but every conference you don't go to, there might be something that you missed. So, I mean, we're also chatting among, among each other, having mailing lists where, where things get disseminated. Uh, so we, we're using these kind of channels. Um, but um, yeah, the problem is it would be, would be actually nice to have more overview papers um, that put things uh, more into context. But um, these are typically the papers that don't give you cutting edge research and it takes time to sit down and parse all, through all these papers and uh, find out how to put them into relation. Yeah. 
I guess following up two things. Uh, first, I, citations, both I completely agree with you. Also, the other direction of following citations, I think, is a great way to dive deeper into a subject. Um, and then I guess to, to your question, I agree with that, but um, I guess the question I'd have is, you know, every paper almost always has a related work section. Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, is it pretty ad hoc when, when you're writing papers that you, like, you know, like Carlos is working on CRDTs, does he, he there's a process for going back and finding the seminal paper or something like that, or is it very much luck, I guess, for lack of, you know? Is my question making sense? I think, I think Max, yeah, but, well, in relation to that, well, when you're working in, in some topic, it is expected that you sort of try to domain everything on that topic before, before you start doing something. Otherwise, you might be reinventing the wheel. And sometimes this happens, and even sometimes it gets published, but, uh, <laughs> which is true. But, uh, and so uh, there, there's, no, there's no magical technique to get this right. It's just, we just expect that you spend enough time reading, talking to people. Talk, talking to people is really, really important. I think like to know what are the relevant works and know about new works that just emerged in your field, you just have to be in constant communication with people that you know are working on along the same lines as you. And so I think so we have the same problem that you were describing. If you reach out to us, we are clearly understand understanding that you have this problem and we'll be able to help you or whatever. It fits our topics, you see. Okay. Uh, are there another question? Yep. Really quick before just to change subjects, I just want to, um, we should all give a quick round of applause to all the papers we love people. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got, uh, I have one question and one comment. Um, so the, so my question is, um, you know, every day I'm, you know, I know there, there, there are hundreds of problems that I know about, you know, that I know that I have, and then there are probably hundreds of problems that I, uh, I have no clue that they exist in my system. Um, how do I know which one of those problems um, would be interesting uh, for a partnership with academia? That's yeah, so I mean, in, in, in academia, just as an industry, there, there are trends, right? So there was this don't know, eventual consistency, which is probably still a really running trend. Maybe we don't know what's happening there. You know, then you have this big data trend and, and these other things. So um, if you are surfing on that wave, um, you probably are working on some interesting problem. Um, for us, it's uh, you know, it's sometimes hard to see from the outside. So I've seen here some some really um, interesting talks uh, on, on how to configure things, how to um, set up systems uh, reliably and, and nicely working and so on. That's probably nothing industry is really uh, worried about, um, academia is really worried about because industry finds some way of working around this. So um, it normally gets uh, interesting, at least for uh, from, from my perspective, if some, um, well, some, some theories involved. So you, you're hitting kind of a, a point where you don't know how to engineer around that. And um, it might be that it's really just impossible or that it's very hard. And this, these are, I, I guess, the questions that uh, are interesting for industry. But um, again, you kind of have to open your door, invite some person, start talking to them, be honest about what you can do, what you can't do, and have to see. Yeah. I would say, well, for any problem that you have, that there would be at least one person in the world in academia that is interested in that problem, you know? Like, how do you find that person? Well. Google might help you, actually, because, well, we, we all tend to have these home pages where we explain what we are doing, and so if you do the right Google query, you might get the, the right hit. 
But then I could also turn the question on the other side, right? I'm doing this research because I have this model of the world, which might not fit perfect reality, but well. And, and how do I know which are the guys in the industry that have the, the problem where my solution fits, right? It's, it's really trying to communicate and be as open and as possible about what you're doing, what are the problems you're tackling, what are the problems that you have, and trying to find the, the matches. So one thing that we try to do is, um, like when we have some kind of problem that we're like, oh man, this is really hard, and it's like, you know, it's valuable to us, is, um, and it's not an obvious thing to engineer around, where you just like, you know, throw Hadoop at it and it goes away. Um, when you have that kind of problem, what we, what we end up doing is like looking for, you know, papers, and then, you know, um, like we do this reference following, right, where we find, you know, a paper that seems to address it, and then we start looking at all its references and related work, and who's citing that paper. And we kind of go through this, and, uh, you know, maybe after 10 or 15 papers, you know, which takes like a day to skim or something, then now you have some idea about the lay of the land. And you can get an idea about maybe who are the main researchers in this or, or something like that. And you can start emailing them. And um, I found it, it's really easy. Like, any researcher is more than happy to, like, take a phone call or, you know, have an email thread discussing, like, your problem. And then from there, you know, you can discuss with them and figure out, you know, is this something that's really interesting or are they just like, oh, yeah, two years ago, like, SigPlan09. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, following up on that, I was like, email the, the researcher and talk to them. I think it was, you know, um, I just because Joe wrote this paper, it's like all oh, this ominous name on a page, and then we actually met, and I was like, hey, he's not going to care, right? And it's been, I mean, for both of us, it's been yeah, wonderful. Right. Um, and so it's really just, I mean, I think you know, with being the same horse, but communication is really key. Uh, so, so my comment was. Uh, David has mentioned uh, NYU and Columbia. Um, also, New York is the Cornell Tech Campus. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there because it's, you know, like it's this, it's an example of an institution that's being designed for collaboration. So. Cool. Uh, any other questions from anybody? It's really hard to see up here with these bright lights. Hi. Uh, just another tool. I, I, I think lots of us are using Twitter for this. So we have lots of academics and uh, lots of people from the industry that are starting to use Twitter for uh, social and professional reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way of finding because it's a broadcast meeting. So I have a given problem. I say this. And if I have people that follow me because they are related to the problems that interest me. Even if it's not in within one hop, uh, often within two hops we are finding salmon that will be closer to that problem. And that is very bidirectional. It can start from the academia or from the industry and I think it works very well. The first time we spoke was yeah. in Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just going to say, we really didn't start speaking until we became friends yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> also, there should be a big thanks to Russell, because um, the, the part of the story we left out is that Russell flew to Braga to yeah. meet with Carlos and ended up in, his in, your in the yeah, co-author's so office. Yeah, one of my co-authors shares an office with Carlos. Yeah, the world is really small. <laughs> Anybody else? So you've talked about collaboration, but uh, can you comment on the conflict of interest more explicitly between academia and industry and how you could work towards uh, uh, bridging that gap? So I think that's uh, somewhat related to Inez's question, right, of is there sort of can industry affect academia in a way that's not positive or something like that? And I'm struggling to, I see it in the sciences in general, 
but I'm struggling to materialize it in computer science, if only because while we build things that are valuable, they're indirectly valuable, and usually that is where the conflict of interest tends to arise. Um, like, for example, you know, I wouldn't want to see, for example, um, academia and industry partnering on benchmarks of NoSQL databases where Basho was one of those partners, right? Because there's a clear conflict of interest there, but I'm finding a hard time finding other counterexamples. But maybe you two have other ones. I can provide you a very concrete counterexample. So, like, um, so to Sigma, you know, we're doing um, a lot of trading activities, and there are certain types of data access patterns that, if we could accelerate them, then we would make a lot more money. And so the problem is that, you know, if we had a researcher and we're like, oh, hey, come, come here, you know, work on this and stuff, and then it turns out that this is like insanely profitable, then if other companies knew this, they could do the same thing. So I mean, there's this is definitely um, a challenge: is, is figuring out how to make everybody involved in the process comfortable with the idea that you know that the research will be released, um, you know, because particularly like as you get away from you know infrastructure providers to end user companies like the the big enterprises like Google and Twitter, you know, that can that are you know they are the full stack of their development. You know, there it becomes much more subtle. Like Google doesn't open source any of their stuff. You know, maybe they or most mm -hmm. of it. I mean, we have some very big open source, but they're low-level infrastructure projects. Right. But, I mean, but like, um, like you know, uh, MapReduce is not right. open source, and you know, so maybe if they hire researchers to enhance MapReduce, you know, maybe they write a paper, maybe they don't. Maybe it turns out it's so profitable or advantageous for them that they don't even want to write the paper. So I see that. I guess I interpreted the question differently, which is I understand why a researcher may be hesitant to start, right? Because my, the work may never get published because of that reason, and I agree with that. I guess I interpreted this question as is, will industry negatively affect published results in their favor for financial gain? And I'm struggling to find that counterexample, again, except for benchmarking. Yeah, except for benchmarking. Yeah. Right, but otherwise, I think I, I, I definitely agree that there's this there's this challenge for academics where right like the company may decide this is proprietary value for information that's of value to us, um, but I don't see that as necessarily a conflict of interest. I see that as a as a challenge to, but we're not um, degrading the quality of the work for, right. for for that financial gain. Actually, it would be to your detriment to do that. Yeah. So. And it's definitely a surmountable challenge, I think. So. And ask you, wait a second and use the mic just so other people can hear. So, but don't you think that it's like a matter also like a, a differences of timing? I mean, like in academia, you get a chance to actually go and, and research and maybe know a problem in depth. And in industry, nobody's going to go and spend like years like analyzing one, one small thing. And I think there's a lot of value in still actually thinking about problems deeply. But if you're building like your next like ruffle scale architecture, to sell, like pictures of getting, like that doesn't. I think to me that would be like a, a, a negative impact of academia, and like shortening the time of research or shortening the amount of like rigor that you can do to develop a point. And I don't know if it's if it's if it's ever going to happen. I, I likely not because universities are very good at maintaining their practices. But uh, that would be the thing that that is like the like I, I do not want us to be the type of people that don't invest time thinking deeply about something because these days mostly we don't. So, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think that's why Syncfree is a great model because it, it does make that separation still between you know Chris's role and Annette's role and our role, but um, it 
we still get the time to think things through. I mean, yeah. even, even if they get deployed in React, I mean, if I, if I would have some doubts about some, some data structure, I would continue thinking about it in the background, right? And later come back and say, wait, there is something wrong or so. Um, so we, we have the time. The, the only, well, we, we once were uh, in a project where um, the, the company, I mean, we had to sign a, a thing that said that uh, the companies that were involved in the project wanted to read the paper before it gets published to make sure that, you know, no secrets were released and, you know, uh, which was okay with us. But, you know, after reading it a second time, it said we had to submit it to the, uh, to the industry partners some six weeks before the deadline. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how the other um, people in this room are publishing papers, but six weeks <laughs> before the deadline, <laughs> having the paper ready for, like, reviewing by uh, partners was a bit tough. <laughs> so we oh. were relaxing that, but... Um, I 99% of the times it's impossible, but... <laughs> yeah. well, another thing is that, like, research is... You cannot really speed up research uh, as... As you wish, right? It's, it's something that takes it time, and getting results, coming up with ideas, testing them, it, it all takes time and, and really you cannot push these like in time, even if you want. Also, I think, too, like, I think um, having multiple people from industry involved instead of one company is another way to sort of spread this, right, of not letting, for example, our business interests push the research, not only in a direction, but in terms, I think, of your point, of, of cutting it short or something like that. And so I think, um, it, right, like, Replication is a good thing in all aspects. <laughs> Anybody else have a question? Uh, yes, I do. Um, so, um, you know, for somebody who's in industry, I know if a few ways to discover research, like if I'm looking for, you know, a better model to represent my data or a better framework to think about, is there something, or if there isn't, um, what would be your perceived way of doing that from the other side? So, like, you know, having the bi-directional where researchers can say, oh, well, I think what you're doing could work much better with my model or with my research. Do you, is, does that exist? If it doesn't, could we make that happen? I, well, the only, the, only, the only times that I, I knew of this happening is when some people from some company like write a blog post explaining what they are doing, right? And, and if the right keywords are there, we, we search Google. So we eventually we'll find it and then we can sort of say, oh, that's cool, we actually have something here that might be useful to you. But, but yeah, other than that, which is extremely ad hoc, uh, I, don't, I don't know of, like, except going to conferences and speaking with people, which, but, but other than that, there's no platform where we can do that. Yeah. I also wouldn't know of any platform. I mean, this, this would really require opening up and, you know, in, in very often a product is a product, right? So I think right now open source is the only platform we have, right? Because we're not going to open all of our doors to some of the, like, right? Like, I would love if Google opened its doors to some of that information, right? But <laughs> uh, and I think the other one is, right, companies like Google hire their own researchers. Thank you. Anybody else? I think we have time for one last question. Okay, I, I'll ask a question. I have a question. <laughs> um, so my question is, um, you know, a lot of times uh, you're building on some previous work, so you assume some system model that's outlined and proven in some, some paper, and then you're trying to build upon that work because you don't want to reinvent what's already been done, right? Um, but then you also want to test it at scale in some, like, industry setting. Um, 
you know, so what are the ideas there? Because the, a lot of times you'll never find an industry partner who necessarily has that exact system model or is built exactly that way. But your research kind of doesn't want to reinvent that or, build, or you know, you want to build upon that or, or your contribution is not novel. Um, so kind of what do you think are better ways that we can kind of, you know, bridge that gap, I guess? I think that the, the, I think the answer is always the same. So sort of, it's it's improved communication, right? If if I'm aware of all the pains and hassles that people from industry are getting, then I can build the model that fits that reality. And as soon as I have that model, I can work on top of it, right? So I think that it's it's all about again communication. Like if I if I get this information in time, then I will for sure adapt my research to to those models. So I have kind of a, a snarky answer and then a real world. I mean, my second answer was <laughs> the academics should pick the strictest model and then that way everything we build will be okay within the, the weaker models. Um, but I actually, I don't agree with that. that um, you know, I think one of the things that's hard is this just translating the system model to industry. Um, which system models match TCP, which match UDP aren't something that I feel the community in industry has as an intuitive idea about. Um, and so I guess just f focusing on the system model in general. Um, and like I actually, I, I like Joao's paper a lot because he assumes a weaker model and has TCP, but in almost every application in the real world we do, and it, it enables some really cool research that yes, we've extended, but at the time that wasn't his focus. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think like we don't, even, we don't even necessarily have the best tools to communicate our system model to academia right now that we can just, we're, we can just start there first. I, th I think there's another thing um, that, that could be done, which is that um, you know, in industry, it's pretty common like for you know, some vendor, they're, they're shopping around their product to potential customers, and they're going, they're going out to you know, however they figure this out. And when they're shopping it around, the customer is like, oh, I really, you know, I can only buy from you if you give me feature X. Like, I really need this thing. It's important. And the vendor's like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can, we can do that. And then they come back and they're like, oh, geez, how do we do this? <laughs> um, you know, I think that this, this same model, like, you know, it's, it could be possible to run a research lab where, you know, if the PI or if some of the grad students are willing to take on, you know, essentially shopping their research around, you know, this is something that they could do even by going to, you know, industry conferences or getting a booth or something. And they could try to shop around their research and try to get, you know, customers of their research in, in sort of the same outreach mechanism. And when they say, oh, yeah, I'd love to use your, like, you know, your ideas and stuff, but it really doesn't apply because of reason X or we really needed to do this other thing, you know, that's another, you know, the same, the same sales, like, if researchers tried to sell their research not for money but just for uptake, then the similar like model could result in like more feedback of some of the quirks of industry environments. Well, I mean, selling selling a product or like research product, so to say, can be very tough. So, I mean, within the scope of our project, what we discovered, I mean, what uh, what industry, uh, what academia often tries to do is simplify things. So, one simplification that we often do, like in initial stages at least, assume that you know. Systems don't fail, right? So we have a very. <laughs> you get yeah, to live on Terra temporarily, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and this is a it's a very nice world, you know. And <laughs> it's, it's it's really great. So if you want to have speed up, you kind of uh, disable disk writes, and it's perfect. And your benchmarks suddenly look much much better. Right? Uh, but then we can go back and you know show. I don't. We often very show uh, show to Chris our, our our stuff, and then he's like, oh my god, but you know this won't work in in any real time setting. So. Um, yeah. 
so being stricter than um, than needed, um, it's hard in system yeah. setting. Right? Agreed. Yeah, totally agreed. <laughs> so um, then we will end up with some very very restrictive system, and <laughs> it, it it won't fit your model. Yeah, right, well, yeah, FLP. <laughs> I, think, I think that's another aspect that that we sometimes use simpler models. For, for allowing us to expose the results and, and the yeah. solution in a clear way. Right. Otherwise, you have to address all these corner cases. It doesn't mean that we don't know how to address them or to solve them, but we assume that anyone that wants to enrich that model will figure out that there's an obvious solution for that. But then the exposition of what we did is much, much improved if we can avoid addressing all those corner cases and really focus on the main, main results and contributions. But yeah. this, this requires uh, the, uh, the partners involved um, to um, see that and value this. I mean, if you, if you look at a model and your first uh, reaction is, yeah, it does not have fault tolerance, it does not have uh, partition tolerance or something, uh, you know, uh, sharding or, or something else, yeah, and, and you put it directly away, then you're not getting anything out of that. So. But I think also that even, even an industry that doesn't always matter, like take Redis, it's super popular, successful, like really good at what it does. And as far as like you know, distributed rigor, it's it's not there, you know. But it's not really built for that. And I think you know that even you know when you're like, oh, I'm going to build this thing, and oh, also if your machine loses power, then you lose all your data and you go out of business. Like, there's plenty of commercial products that have that property. You know, it's not like <laughs> they're also getting slowly bit by it. But good enough has always yeah. been right. Why most that good enough has always been good in industry, right? That's why we have exactly. Linux instead of Illumos. Like, <laughs> um, I will say though, but not sort of something which is part of this is also on us that we can't expect that academia will solve it for every system model or for the same problem. Like actually, Joao's solution was in a totally different space, right? It's, it's on us to, I think I said in my talk, it's not a recipe, it's not the blueprint for how I build my code, it's you know, a direction, it's a sign kind of in, in the right way. And you, as the practitioner, it's your job to take research and implement it. And um, So I think part of that's just about about us and, and you know adapting. Can you adapt the system model? Can you understand and you know have enough intuition about the research to change the algorithm to meet your needs? Okay, um, so we're out of time. So a big round of applause for our panel. <laughs> well, thank you very much.